Father, we do want to also, uh, we want to rem- remember uh, the high schoolers as they're getting ready to uh, leave for camp uh, this weekend, Lord. We, we do pray for a great, great work in the, their hearts. We pray for the adults that they uh, will be blessed and, and uh, God, that they can survive and uh, come back without uh, being completely worn out. But Lord, do a work in the hearts of those teens. And God, as we do uh, uh, start this uh, study in Ezra, God, I pray that we would be able to really begin to understand your faithfulness. And God, that you keep your promises, that you are, you are always, Lord, always there. In spite of our circumstances, in spite of what we might feel that, that's going on around us, that we would know, God, that you're there, that you're involved, that you care. And Lord, that you are working your plan and you're doing things according to your will and we need to trust you. So I pray as we, as we begin to see a, a, a fulfillment of those promises in the lives of the people of Israel that again, it would just encourage our hearts. So Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts that are pliable. Bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you've been with us as we've been going uh, on Thursday nights, we, uh, you know, we've been, we started in Genesis, and we've been kind of going through, and we've been doing things chronologically. So we finished Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was the prophet for the uh, nation of Israel as they were in exile, and now we're going to come out of exile. So, it was, so we're going to look at Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and, uh, and Esther and kind of tie all those in because they all happened about this, about this time. So Ezra was a little bit before Nehemiah. And we're talking about the time. Now we're going to look at Israel coming out of exile. And, you know, for us, we kind of read this, and I think sometimes we, we get a little kind of nonchalant about it and maybe even a little laid back. But we need to understand how exciting this was for the nation of Israel. And how pumped they must have been when all of this happened. They've been in, they've been in exile for 70 years. And I think a lot of them were wondering, is it ever going to end? And you got to remember some Jeremiah, you know, before they went into exile, warned them, told them what was happening, told them to kind of settle down. So some did settle down, and, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And they got really to kind of settle down, but they've been in exile for 70 years, and now, listen, now they're going to come back to the nation, and I think for us, the great thing for us is we can read this, and we can understand that God keeps his promises, and he's faithful to keep his promises, and, and I know, man, sometimes for us, it's hard. Life, life happens things happen to us and we get we get in a place where we probably you know wonder if God ever even knew us and ever cared and yet he does and I can't imagine how those people felt so we're dealing with a time period that that uh, is uh, you know in the in the 500s or 400s actually 500s but we remember that remember when they were deported the first deportation, I put the dates up, 605 B.C. That was the deportation when Daniel and some of those boys were taken. Then the second deportation happened in 597. That's when Ezekiel would have gone uh, into exile. And then the last one was 586 when the temple was destroyed and all of that went down. So they went there. Now we're 70 years, we're probably 70 years more from the 605 date than the 586 date. So we're 70 years down the road. So just like there was 
was, there was three deportations. We're going to look in a moment. There's going to be kind of three uh, uh, of the people going back into the land. They're going to go back under Zeb, uh, uh, Zerubbabel, and then they're going to go back under Ezra, and then the last group is going to go back during Nehemiah, and there's kind of different dates there. So they're going to go back in waves as they go back. But imagine you're sitting there and you're thinking about, where is God? And if you remember Daniel, a contemporary during this time, was reading the book of Jeremiah. You guys remember? And then he realized the 70 years were almost up. And I love that. I love that part of Daniel because Daniel doesn't go, woohoo, let's go. What does Daniel do? He stops and prays. Right, and he seeks the Lord, and, and hey, God, is this, I think he's, you know, kind of praying, is this really going to happen? And the 70 years are, you know, I've, I've been counting, I've been here, and it's almost up. So, hey, that's going down. So Daniel's involved during this time period also. So a lot of stuff going on during this time period and, and happening. So as we begin to dig in and, and look at this, we can see that I lost my other date someplace. I guess they went away. So they're going to come back in the different waves. They're going to come back in 538 B.C. and then 458 B.C. and then 444 B.C. So those are the times where they're, where they're coming back into the land and, and uh, rejoining and rebuilding. But tonight we're going to look at just the initial stage of them getting the news. So verse 1 says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing. So listen, man, now God, here's what blows my mind. God is using an unbeliever. And God even, listen, God even called him out by name in Isaiah 44 and 45, Read that for homework. God named him 150 years before he was ever even born, before he existed. He named this guy and said he was going to be king of Persia. And hey, during when Isaiah was saying that, everybody must have thought, what is he talking about? And this whole, this whole place of, of, of Persia didn't even exist at the time. And they're probably thinking, what is this? And God names him by name, says he's going to use him to bring his people back. And then also in Jeremiah, when we studied that, remember 25 and 29 are the 70 years. So Jeremiah said it was going to happen, and now it's happening. And God uses Cyrus. And, and here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Cyrus, I think Cyrus kind of thought he was all that. He's pretty proud of himself. And yet he was just a, you know, a tool for God. And you and I need to remember that. If you start feeling that you're all that, remember you're just a tool in the hands of God. Just an instrument, someone he's using. So Cyrus, listen, Cyrus, it says that, that, uh, that, that, my, that Jeremiah might be fulfilled, that the Lord spoke through him, and he made this proclamation and cried out this proclamation. Thus says the Lord, or thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, verse 2, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. So he kind of thinks he's pretty important, right? He's thinking he's reigning. And you know, it's funny, I was reading one commentary and somebody, I guess, it's funny the things that go through our minds. I guess somebody asked this person if, if he was, uh, all the kingdoms of the earth had been given to Cyrus. They said, what about the United States? <laughs> it's like, how can we get so, so, 
ethnocentric that we don't realize was it's like so the United States was not under Cyrus just in case you were wondering because it was not around yet so I just anyway sorry I, I, I had to share that I had to read it so I thought you should hear it so God God gave him all the kingdoms <laughs> that are around him and again remember go back and, and read how they conquered the land that that uh, uh, Persia Syrophoenicia or the Persian people came in and conquered the Medo-Persians and it says and he commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah who is among you of all of his people May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, build the house of the Lord of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Now, here's what I find kind of interesting. He had to mention it a couple times. It's like Cyrus maybe never even went to Jerusalem. Remember, the Medo-Persians came in and they captured Babylon, but it didn't say anything about them ever doing anything in Israel or Jerusalem. And he has to like three times there mention the house of God that's in Judah, that's in Jerusalem. And he seems kind of focused on that, right? As, as Cyrus, this is a decree he's writing. But here's what I love, man. He, he announces that they're gonna go, they're gonna rebuild the house of the Lord. Notice the main theme, and you'll see it in Ezra, is rebuilding the temple, not so much the city, as the temple. Ezra's all about the temple. Nehemiah's all about the wall, as, as we think about those two, and they were contemporaries. So here they're getting ready to go back and build the temple. He announces that they build the temple, and then he kind of calls the people out, and he says, hey, man, if you're, part of, if you're part of Israel, if you're part of God's family, you need to get ready and go. Now, here's the thing that I kind of really like about Ezra chapter one. Not everybody goes. And some of you might say that's not good. But you know, not everybody is called to the same ministry. Not everybody's called, quote, maybe to be a missionary. We could use it on as foreign missions. You know, I know that uh, when I was involved in missionary work, I kind of, when I would come back from Mexico and from some of the trips we would do with the tribal people and I would come back, I would kind of go through a reverse uh, culture shock. And I would come back to the church and I would look around and I'd think, why isn't everybody going? and you kind of get judgmental. And uh, uh, I was a little legalistic at that time too. So I would look at people and think, man, you don't love the Lord. If you really love the Lord, here's what you'd be doing. Not everybody's called. And here's what I like about, about this thing in Ezra. Not everybody was called to go back. As a matter of fact, we're gonna read, very few went back, especially in this first wave. Very few went back. And we all, you know, sometimes we go, well, those guys, hey, once again, not everybody's called to be a foreign missionary. I think we're all called to be a testimony, but you know, we're not all evangelists either. Again, we can have a testimony, we can shine, but not all of us. I, I, I have a friend that's evangelist. He talks to telephone poles and they get saved, you know? And, and I mean, he just goes, and he just, you know, he'll go through a line in a cafeteria and he's praying with the people behind the cafeteria to receive the Lord. And, and I'm thinking, all I got was salad. He's got, you know, and, and so, hey, not everybody's called to that. And we have to be careful that we don't start putting our calling and our giftedness on other people. So here he says, hey, all of you who are of God's family, you get ready to go. And then, verse four, it's the other side. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, 
let the men of his place help him with silver and gold and with goods and livestock besides the freewill offerings for the house of God which is in Jerusalem so here's the thing some are called to go some are called to be the support remember David when he went to war and some of the guys stayed back and he said it's okay you guys guard the stuff I always like that right you guys take care of the stuff we're gonna go and when we come back, we'll share with you anything we get. Why? Because you stayed and guarded the stuff. And some people have to guard the stuff. Some people, hey, if we didn't have, you know, in, at least from the, the perspective of where we're at in the U.S., if we didn't have home churches to send people out, a lot of them couldn't go out because they couldn't be supported. So we need to understand that some people are called to be that part of that. And so he says, hey, some of you are going to go, some of you are going to stay, and some of you are going to be that support mechanism. So that's Cyrus's decree. Here's what he's saying. I want you guys to go build the house of the Lord, right, that's in Jerusalem. Don't forget it's in Jerusalem. It's in the city called Jerusalem. I want you to go build it there. And then he says, listen, man, some of you go, and some of you stay and give and support. So then, verse 5, then the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites with all whose spirits God had moved arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. You might underline the spirit moved them to do it. Not guilt trip, not manipulation, not somebody saying, if you don't go, you don't love God. The Spirit moved on them. And the interesting thing, how he separates, and I think this started back, if you remember a couple weeks ago, in Ezekiel, he separates Levites and priests. Every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. So don't forget that, right? There, there was that one part of the Levites that were priests, but all the Levites weren't priests. And so he keeps that distinction. And remember in Ezekiel, those who weren't serving the Lord, remember they're gonna get to be the butchers. They're not gonna be able to do the offering because they, uh, they, they uh, pulled people or, or, or uh, influenced people to go after other gods. So he says that and then he goes, listen man, those who are moved by the spirit are gonna go up to the house of the Lord and, and then he talks about the father. So he's mainly talking about two tribes, right? Don't forget, the other 10 are involved and we'll talk about that when we get towards the end of, of, of chapter two. So he says, they're going to go, verse 6, and all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold and with goods and livestock and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. So listen, man, they're getting ready to go, and we're going to find out towards the end of, of tonight. They had the equivalent of today, about $70 million to rebuild this temple. Now that's today's equivalent. Now I want you to think about something. That temple that they built was not much bigger than this sanctuary. Think of what you could do with $70 million with a building just the size of this sanctuary. You could bling it out, huh? You could do some nice stuff. You know, when people always tell me, you know, God's frugal, I don't think God's too frugal, man. We didn't spend, we didn't spend $70 million building this whole building and that building and the land. So you got to think about God. Listen, God can get very extravagant some of the time. And, and uh, you know, you can, you can do with that what you want. So listen, man, the people gave them stuff. So you kind of get the idea. Here's what I love. Remember when they went, when they uh, went exile, 
when they, when they exited out of Egypt. Remember when they left? Remember God had all the Egyptians dump stuff on them? I always love that scene. Hey, we're going to take our stuff. Isn't that great? It's like, it's, God is so good, and they needed that stuff, right? So take our stuff. So Egypt gave them a bunch of stuff. Here they're getting ready again to go back into the land, and people are giving them stuff. That's great, and they're giving them, listen, they're giving them from their heart. They weren't pressured into giving. It wasn't a thermometer of how much they needed, and if we get there, we're gonna do good. There wasn't letters sent out. There was nothing going on. Hey, they just gave. And then it says in verse seven, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. Remember when Cyrus came in? Remember when the Medo-Persians came in in the book of Daniel and, and they, they, they uh, 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 captured uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson and they came in and they destroyed all that? Remember what they were doing the night that the Medo-Persians came in? They're having a big party. And remember what they were using in the party? The stuff from the house of the Lord. So I don't think it was real hard for Cyrus to find that stuff, right? It's there. And Cyrus is going to send it all back. It, to me, it's just kind of interesting how, you know, this stuff was, quote, saved, preserved. And oftentimes we think God's not involved. Why do you think it was preserved and saved? Because God was saving it. They didn't know God was saving it. They thought they were saving it for them, but God was saving it. Cyrus gets it all together, brings it in, and then verse six says, and Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by hand, uh, by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to uh, Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. Now, you know, these two guys are mentioned and they're, not, they're, they're mentioned in Ezra a couple times, especially Sheshbazar, and people say, who is Sheshbazar? I don't know. There's a lot of people who think Sheshbazar is another name for Zerubbabel because Zerubbabel is the prince, is a descendant of Jehoiachin, and we're gonna read in a moment, and, and would have been part of that, that uh, uh, line of David, but I don't know if that's it because they're mentioned so close together here. I don't think it would have been his name one way one time, another way another time. Maybe, maybe he had a Babylonian name. Maybe that's it. Or maybe it's just two different guys. And Shesh Bazar did some stuff and then you have uh, Zerubbabel doing, doing the stuff. So, you know, you can figure that out. You can read. You can do all your studying and try and, try and, and get that. I'm not sure exactly which way it went. And there's, you know, great scholars on either side putting them either way. Nonetheless, you have this guy, and this guy got all the stuff, right? Verse 9, this is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives. I think that's kind of interesting. 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. So he kind of names those things. And then he says, all the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. Now, if you added up the stuff in verse 9 uh, uh, and, and 10, and then you read verse 11, you come up with different numbers. And people go, how come verse 11 has 5,400 when there's like 2,900 uh, items mentioned in, in uh, 10 and 11? I'm sorry, 9 and 10. And I, I, think, I think, bottom line, I think there was more stuff that I think in, in uh, uh, 9 and 10, what he's doing is he's naming the major things, and then there was the rest of it. Again, I don't think the Bible's like got a huge discrepancy and, and they messed up. 
I think, hey, there was a whole bunch of little stuff that he wasn't going to count all the stuff. Nonetheless, he's taken all of that. And, and again, the thing I find interesting, you know, 5,400 articles that were going back to the house of the Lord. It's interesting that they were kept and preserved. I could understand maybe 100, maybe even 250 but 5,000, that's a lot to, to kind of hang on to. And yet our God is doing that. And then it says, and these Sheshbazar took with the captives uh, who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. So they got everything together. Now they're getting ready to move out. And as they move out, uh, we're going we're gonna to go through the list of names. Not really. We're not going to read all of those names. But as they get ready to move out, something you need to understand this was, a not, this was probably a five-month journey. It was, over, it was like 1,000 miles, a little over 900 miles. Think about moving people that far, you know, and, and uh, in, in that generation where you didn't have cars and planes and buses and different things, and you're all going to go on this long trip. You're going to go almost 1,000 miles in wagons and on donkeys and camels and walking you know, and you got all this stuff and you're going to have more stuff we're going to read about later on. And there's going to be about, about 5,500 people. I mean, I'm sorry, about 55,000 people. That's a lot of people to move. Like most families couldn't do it, right? You, get, you know, hey, it's summertime. A lot of families getting ready to go on vacation. And some of you are going, it's such a nightmare. And you're wondering how you're going to get from point A to point B. So they have them all together. Now, these are the people in verse two, uh, 1 of chapter 2. It says, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, uh, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon, and who were returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. Now, here's what I find interesting. We're gonna, we're gonna see, we're gonna read the, the first part, and then you're gonna, there's that long list. I am not gonna try and read all of those names, and we're not gonna go through it. But here's the interesting thing. This and Nehemiah chapter seven are almost identical. They're really, really close. There's a little bit of variance, and when we do Nehemiah, we'll talk about some of that. But the fact that, that God listed them all and where they're from. Hey, people kept track. And this was before, you know, me and 23 or whatever it is and Ancestry.com and, and all of those places. Man, people knew, they knew where they were from. And we've kind of lost that in this country, right? Now we use those internet sites. Some of us want to find out where we're from and we go to those internet sites. These guys knew. So let's read the first part here and we'll get the main players, so to speak. Verse two says, those who came with Zerubbabel were, so Zerubbabel, as I said, a descendant from Jehoiachin who had died by now he was taken he was taken captive he's gone this is his grandson more than likely who's taken on and then uh, Yeshua uh, uh, is there Yeshua Nehemiah this Nehemiah is not the same Nehemiah that the book's written about okay this is a different one because that Nehemiah goes in 444 these guys are going about 538 so two different men so you have Yeshua Nehemiah Sariah or Saraya Realiah Mordecai uh, uh, Bilshan Mizpar Bigvi Rahum and Baena 
and the number of the men of the people of Israel. So these were kind of the leaders, right? These are sort of the heads, and then they're gonna number all the people, and they're gonna go through, and you can go through. I would encourage you to, to, you know, quote, read through it. You may not be able to pronounce the names, but read through it. We're not gonna try and go through it. We're gonna take them by sections and who they were and what they were doing. The first section is from, from uh, uh verse three on down to verse 20, and these are dealing with the villages they came out. I'm sorry, it's dealing with the family line. So you were from this family line or this family line or this, and it names all of these family lines that the people came out of and the amount of people in each one. And at the end of verse 20, if you do it and add it all up, you come up with 15,604 people of the different family lines. That are, that are listed. Then we're gonna get into villages, but as we get into villages, read 21, 22, 23. It says the people of Bethlehem were 123. The people of, of uh, Natapha were 56. And the men of Anathoth were 128. Now I just read that. I'm, again, I'm not gonna read all the villages, but here's what I find interesting. I find interesting in verse 23, you have Anathoth. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Hmm, some of you are going, oh man, Bible trivia, I didn't study. Interesting thing, when we did Jeremiah, do you remember when Jeremiah, remember when the Lord told him to go buy a plot of land? Remember where that land was? Anathoth. Hey, Jeremiah, go buy that land, and everybody's going, what do you want that land in Anathoth for? It's not, it's worthless. We're all being taken captivity. Ha, ha, ha. 70 years later, Jeremiah's going, I got some money. Well, I don't know if Jeremiah's still around. But it is interesting, right? Now they're going back, and, and he had that deed. So he would have been one of those. And again, it says how many men from Anathoth? This is 28. And then, and then you can go through all of the villages down to, to verse uh, 35, and there's 8,540 listed there. And then from 36 to 40 or 36 to uh, 39 are the priests who, who are going to serve. And of the priests, 4,289, which is almost, it almost represents about, about 10% of the, of the uh, total people. Sort of interesting that God keeps it that way, right? And, and they're serving. Then the Levites from, from verse 40 through 42, there's 341. And then temple servants are a little bit different from verse 43. And these guys go all the way to 50, 58. And uh, they were called the Nethanim. And, and uh, they were the servants from the time of Solomon. These people served in the temple. And uh, of them... There was about 392. Now it takes a long list because there's a lot of different names there. So you have 392. And then the list from 59 to 63 are those people who lost their genealogies. So they didn't have an app for that back then, right? So they couldn't prove their genealogies, which is kind of interesting to me because these guys can't prove their genealogies, yet there's 652 who were going. So here's the thing. They're going, but they don't know exactly what family they're from, what tribe they're from, what area, but they're going anyway. And, and those to me kind of represent the people that are really sold out. Like what tribe? I don't know. What land are you going to get? I don't know. What city are you from? I don't know. But I'm going. 
Why are you going? Because we're going back. That's why. Because we're going home, right? And we get to go home. So, so you have that whole group of people. Now, in, starting in verse 64, we can kind of begin to sum things up and look at how all this comes together. And it says the whole assembly together was 42,000 360 so kind of keep that number in mind right you have 42,360 and then it says besides their male and female servants of whom there were 7,337 and they had 200 men and women singers so again you add those up and you come up with those and and so you have a little bit more and then and then here's what I love it says there are horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, their donkeys 6,720. So listen, it comes up with all of the people and it tells us that there was, you know, the, the 42,000 plus 700, so we'll say 40, 49,000 or you know, 50,000 people. But... If you take and do your math, and I know some of you are going to do this, the nerds, the nerds, here's what they're gonna do. If you do the math and you add all of these numbers up that are listed, like, you know, there were 72 from this family, 72 from that family, 65, and you list all of those and you do all the math, you can only come up with 29,000. Where are these other people coming from? And that's, you know, a big question that people want to ask. Nehemiah kind of does the same thing. Here's the only conclusion we can draw, I believe, is that a lot of the people joined them who were from the other 10 tribes that are supposedly lost. They're joining them as they're coming down and coming with them and, and uh, as they're coming back into the land. So you get those numbers. So again, how many were taken captive? There was well over a million people taken captive. How many are going back? 42,000 actual Israelites, the others are servants. 42,000? That's not a whole bunch. So, hey, there was a lot of people who stayed. The thing I find interesting when I read Ezra and Nehemiah is the fact that Daniel stayed. Daniel didn't go back. Because Daniel was there during King Cyrus, and then he was there during King Darius. He never left. And people go, why didn't Daniel leave? Well, number one, he had a really, really good job. Right? He had position. He had, he had, he had influence. And I think the main reason he didn't leave is because God didn't tell him to leave. Didn't impress on him to leave. Daniel was one of those who could stay with the stuff and he could still have influence in the Medo-Persian Empire while they're doing what they're doing and I think he knew that. So, so again, kind of interesting stuff, right? So as we get all of that, we have their numbers, we have how many animals and then verse 68 says, some of the heads of the father's houses when they came to the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem offered freely for the house of God to erect it in its place and according to their ability they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas uh, 5,000 minas of silver and 100 priestly garments so again that's like 70 million dollars equivalent to 70 million dollars today so they're going to build quite the place now remember this is the second temple 
that Zerubbabel and, and, uh, and uh, Ezra build and they put it together and they build the second temple. Then Herod the Great remodeled that and, and took care of that. He didn't build a whole new one. He, he kind of upgraded the temple. And then that one was destroyed. There's going to be a third temple that is going to be built either right before the tribulation or right in the beginning of the tribulation. You're going to have the third temple. That one's going to be destroyed. And then we saw in Ezekiel, you're going to have the fourth temple that's built during that time. So uh, you have four different temples. So third temple being built, verse 70 says, So the priests and the Levites and some of the people, the singers and the gatekeepers and the Nethanim dwelt in their cities and all of Israel dwelt in their cities. So he divides it up. Those who were serving the Lord stayed right in Jerusalem or right around Jerusalem. They're serving there. And then the other people scattered out. So again, we kind of read this and we go, that was really, really kind of a drag tonight, Pat. Like it was just some history stuff and some names. And so what's the deal? Well, here's the deal. God is faithful. And if we, you know, if we can just get a glimpse of that for our own lives, God is faithful. And he, listen, he's made us promises. Here's the thing. If God could do all of this, every time I read either, either Ezra or Nehemiah and I kind of get involved in it and start reading the details and stuff, here's what I think. If God can do that, what is there in my life he can't take care of? Nothing. And even when I feel deserted, hey, we talked about, you know Ezekiel had to feel deserted. He was supposed to serve in the temple. And how many of these other guys, if you go back and read the, the priests, how many of them felt deserted because they, they never got to serve in the temple and now they're going back and imagine how excited they are. I imagine that 900,000 mile trip seemed like nothing as they're going back and they're stoked, man, and they're talking about, hey, here's what we're gonna do, man. We're gonna get to lay it because chapter three starts with them laying the temple or laying the foundation so, so we don't get to go on a journey I wish we could go on a little bit of the journey with them and hear what they talked about, hear the discussions they had. Hey, you, you know, can you hear some of them telling the guys, I didn't think I'd ever see this day. And we're here, we're going back. It's gonna happen. Hey, the things in your life kind of get a little bit small compared to that, don't they? So, now we begin Ezra, and we begin a journey with Ezra. We're going to plug in as we go. We're going to plug in uh, as, uh, Zechariah, Haggai, and uh, right towards the end of all this, we'll plug in Malachi, finish up the minor prophets, get them in, and we're going to shove Esther in here in between where she belongs and the books because, again, trying to keep it chrono chronological so we get an idea of all of this stuff that's happening simultaneously that sometimes we forget if we just read through our Bibles. But again, tonight, I want us to leave tonight knowing God is faithful and God is going to keep his promise. Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we do get ready tonight as we're, as we're getting ready to leave and again, uh, going all kinds of different directions, different places. I pray, Lord, I pray for those of us tonight who do feel somewhat deserted by you, that in our own lives it seems like 
Well, the reality is things aren't even going close to what we thought they would be. I know some of us are in circumstances and situations that we never even dreamt we would be in. But Lord, I pray that we would glean from reading Ezra and reading the details, the fact that you didn't miss one family member, you didn't miss a family, you didn't miss a city, you didn't miss any of the priests, you didn't miss any of the singers. You gathered all of those people and you kept them. And you got them ready now for this journey to go on this place that, Lord, the things in our life that you're very aware of, even if it's taking years to get through them. This group of people we read about tonight, 70 years. 70 years they waited to see this day. Now, maybe not all of them are that old, but as a nation, 70 years and Lord, I pray that we would understand, God, that we need to be people who are patient and people who are trusting you. So Lord, if there's something in our lives that doesn't seem right, that doesn't seem in place, so to speak, give us a heart to trust you. And even if it's a tiny, tiny mustard seed of faith, that we could establish that faith in you and on your promises and know, know God that you haven't forgotten us and you haven't misplaced us. And Lord, be glorified in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.